Hi, and welcome to Why Do We Do That, a psychology podcast that deconstructs human behavior from the perspectives of social scientists, psychologists, and others that use applied psychology in their work. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Moyer. In this episode, I sat down with Dr. Joe Pierre to discuss conspiracy theory beliefs. Joe is a health sciences clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of California, San Francisco. He's a graduate of MIT, the UCLA School of Medicine, and the Psychiatry Residency Training Program at the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute. He has extensive clinical experience working with individuals with psychotic disorders and substance use disorders. Joe has authored over 100 papers, abstracts, and book chapters related to schizophrenia and delusions. He also writes the Psych Unseen blog at Psychology Today and is working on a forthcoming book with the same title about the psychology of false beliefs. I first discovered Joe from his appearance in the Flat Earth Believer documentary, Behind the Curve. Joe and I both share a strong personal interest in the topic of conspiracy theory beliefs, which is why I thought it would be interesting to talk to him. One of the most important takeaways I had from our discussion was the importance of curiosity and withholding judgment when it comes to discussing conspiracy theory beliefs. It can be very easy to classify those that believe in conspiracy theories as crazy or stupid. The fact is that we all have some beliefs that are completely irrational. We don't put them under a microscope because they're either supported by cultural norms, they make us feel good, or they're a vital part of our identity. Also, sometimes there are real conspiracies that need to be acknowledged. Dismissing conspiracy theories and refusing to engage with loved ones that take interest in these ideas simply reinforces this pattern of thinking, and it is the exchange of ideas that helps us refine and make adjustments to our core beliefs. That being said, those that take a strong interest in conspiracy theories need to be introspective and explore the motives behind their interest. As Joe and I discuss in our conversation, If you can't articulate what evidence you would need to see in order to change your mind about a topic, chances are your emotions are driving your persistence, and it may be time to consider whether or not you're being skeptical, which is focused on evidence, or cynical, which is focused on distrusting others. Christmas is right around the corner, And if you're dreading having one of those conversations with your relatives about some of their kooky conspiracy theories, take some notes from this episode and see if it helps you more effectively engage with them. Enjoy. My guest today is Joe Pierre. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm always uh, excited to talk about uh, today's topic. Great. Uh, So speaking of today's topic... Uh, today's topic is conspiracy theories. Uh, now, Joe has a background in uh, psychiatry, uh, and so one might argue that there's a, a bit of a difference between uh, sort of psychopathology and, and mental health and this idea of conspiracy theories. Um, what made you interested in this idea of conspiracy theory beliefs? 
Yeah, well, uh, I should state from the beginning that uh, I um, seriously considered becoming a psychologist back during my undergraduate years. Uh, in fact, I minored in psychology. Um, and at that time, I um, was interested in uh, a lot of the biological aspects of, of mental illness. Um, also was very interested in treating really the most severe mentally ill folks. So that took me on a career path to medical school rather than psychology grad school. Uh, but I feel like I have some deep roots in psychology. And uh, although my main clinical interest has been uh, in studying and treating psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, my main academic interest has really been what I call the gray area between psychosis and normal uh, norm normality. And so there's no better and certainly no more timely example than conspiracy theories as something that uh, is sort of reminiscent of delusions. Uh, we might put them into a larger category of delusion-like beliefs. Uh, but as we'll talk about, I think are fundamentally not uh, symptoms of mental illness per se. And so uh, I, I have a, quite a bit of interest in, in that, which actually started initially a couple of years ago when people uh, were asking me questions about flat earthers. Mm -hmm. And I had to sort of say, what? I, I have no idea what that is. And I sort of went down the rabbit hole a little bit to find out what this phenomenon was. Uh, I ended up being in a documentary movie about flat earthers. And, and then, of course, over the past couple of years, conspiracy theories have had a sort of more uh, relevant and, and more um, um, you know, more, more politically relevant uh, implications. So I followed that very closely as well. Yeah. So uh, the documentary on on flat Earth theory is called Behind the Curve. Uh, it can be probably still on Netflix. Uh, one of my one of my uh, favorite documentaries uh, of the past decade for sure. Um, so you know, you mentioned flat Earth theory. These flat Earthers. Um, I, I I would call that sort of low hanging fruit in the conspiracy theory department. Uh, you know, if you ask it, your average person about flat flat earthers, you know, it's like, well, how could you possibly believe that? that's so absurd? Um, but then, you know, as you start looking into conspiracy theories, then you get into uh, things that that are just slightly more plausible. They take on a slightly different look than believing the earth is flat. Like, you know, uh, so most recently was COVID, uh, you know, the idea that perhaps a public official or public officials might downplay certain statistics because they, they want to avoid scaring people. Like it starts to get a little bit more plausible, right? Just in the maybe category. Yeah. Um, so uh, how would you describe the difference between conspiracy theory beliefs and sort of reasonable views about, uh, about maybe the government or about, uh, you know, some event that might have happened that might have a sinister cause. Yeah. Well, um, you know, reasonability is, of course, somewhat subjective. That, that's sort of, I think, the, the challenge we face now as a society about what is or is not reasonable. Um, and, you know, partly the way I would answer, you know, whether or not something is a conspiracy theory or whether or not something is a delusion for that matter it you know, really goes down to the availability uh, and the appraisal, how we look at uh, evidence. But that too is a sign of the times where there's often now gross disagreement about what constitutes 
uh, evidence or a fact or truth. Um, and again, you know, I sort of started off looking into this uh, with flat earthers, which on the one hand, it's sort of a relatively inconsequential uh, belief. Um, on the other hand, what's so interesting about flat earthers is, yeah, it really flies in the face of something that seems like the most basic of science facts, something we all learn about, you know, in grade school, if not before. So that to me is fascinating that there is or has been a growing segment of the population that is at least willing to entertain that, you know, this idea that maybe the earth is not round. Uh, and this, you know, became popularized uh, a couple of years ago when Kyrie Irving, the uh, basketball player, sort of came out, if you will, uh, with this belief. And of course, we've seen him, uh, you know, go on to endorse a, a variety of different beliefs that we that might fall under the category of, of conspiracy theory. I would I would mention also that you know, by itself, the idea that the earth is flat is not a conspiracy theory, right? The conspiracy theory part is what it means that we're being told uh, that the earth is round. So it's not just a belief about the shape of the earth. It's a belief that NASA is some sort of front that's willfully uh, misleading us. It's a belief that the moon landing was faked. Uh, and it's not just about NASA or the US, it's, it's a belief that requires um, the idea that uh, you know every country on the planet with a space program is conspiring, there's the conspiracy word, um, to dupe the public and to what end, you know, God, God only knows. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I do think the flat earth phenomenon is, is a interesting place to begin. Uh, that said, as I said before, I think in recent years, and kind of to go back to your question, what we're really seeing is a shift towards conspiracy beliefs that are really more consequential. You know, believing that the earth is flat, probably at the end of the day, not really going to impact you. Right. But believing that vaccines aren't effective, believing that COVID-19 is caused by, you know, 5G networks, that obviously has resulted in some very palpable um, consequences, um, you know, in, in the world that we live in today. Uh, and I'll mention, just as a final note in, in my long-winded answer, um, that conspiracy theories are also have a long history of being used for political ends. So it's sort of impossible not to look at the, the sort of political science uh, aspect of conspiracy theories, um, which I think is also very, very relevant today. Uh, you've written about uh, the role of mistrust as well as misinformation and how that can contribute to the, uh, the momentum of conspiracy theories and sort of what uh, what makes them attractive or, or, or perhaps what differentiates them from just, uh, you know, people objectively evaluating evidence. Could you talk a little bit about those, those concepts and how they might, might fit in? Yeah. So I think, you know, in the research that I've done with conspiracy theories and, and, you know, the, the work I've read uh, from leaders in research in, in this field, you know, a lot of it over the past decade has been devoted to trying to figure out like, what are the psychological quirks that are associated with people who believe in conspiracy theories? Um, and we can get into to what some of those things are. But at the same time, I think it's really important to recognize that consistently in polls, it has been shown that roughly half, if not over 50% of the population 
not only here in the US, but around the world, certainly countries in Europe, um, believe in at least one conspiracy theory. So very clearly, belief in conspiracy theories is normal. Um, and again, I don't think we should take it as a sign of mental illness. And so although there are some psychological quirks and things like uh, cognitive biases that are associated with conspiracy theory belief, I think we need a way to understand conspiracy theories um, that sort of humanizes and normalizes them. And so that's where, for me, mistrust and misinformation uh, come in. So the way I like to explain conspiracy theory uh, beliefs is that they're really grounded in a fundamental mistrust uh, in academia. We might call this epistemic mistrust. So specifically mistrust in the information that's out there in the world, uh, mistrust of authoritative sources of information. Right. And once we, you know, once that kind of trust is eroded, then we become vulnerable to all of the misinformation that's out there in the world today. Certainly, you know, the internet hasn't helped that, but the internet isn't the only place where uh, misinformation abounds. And so if you don't trust authoritative sources of information, if you don't trust expertise, then suddenly you become vulnerable to believing, you know, all manner of things, you know, including things like that the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, uh, what, what's also speaking of mistrust, what's kind of interesting about that concept is that, um, is that sometimes if you're having a conversation with someone and they're talking about a specific conspiracy theory, some sort of based around distrust of the government, um, sometimes you see, uh, just inconsistency in the, in, in the skepticism. So someone will express a lot of distrust about the government, but almost no skepticism and distrust about their resources, right? The figures that they're looking to that provide the, the websites that provide some, some color into the movement. So if it's flat earth, for example, uh, if it's a podcast, you know, uh, you know, Alex Jones, a very popular cons uh, conspiracy theorist, um, you know, you don't see the distrust there. I'm curious as to why you think that is. Well, I, I think it goes back to the, this fundamental idea uh, of trust. So when, when we talk about mistrust, it's not that people don't trust anybody. Uh, and I, I would sort of you know, surmise that there is a general tendency uh, for human beings to sort of need, if you will, to place their trust in somebody. So when I talk about mistrust, I'm really specifically talking about mistrust of authoritative sources of information. Um, and let's be clear, you know, sometimes that mistrust is rational and, and well-placed, you know, so I think we have to understand that there's many different pathways to mistrust of those authoritative sources of information. Sometimes that mistrust is earned. And of course, people who believe in conspiracy theories tell us that, you know, well, the CIA, you know, had uh, COINTELPRO, um, you know, there, there's certainly historical examples where so-called conspiracy theories were actual real-life conspiracy theories. Um, a great example of that with a sort of cultural angle is that conspiracy theories related to HIV and AIDS, such as the belief that the uh, virus was created by the U.S. government and intentionally disseminated among um, minority populations. Um, those kinds of beliefs are overrepresented among uh, African-Americans. 
And uh, many uh, researchers have drawn the parallel to that kind of belief and the fact that African-Americans have been uh, routinely discriminated against by the medical profession, the most egregious example being the Tuskegee experiment. So again, mistrust right, right. isn't necessarily pathological. On the other hand, it can be. Uh, you know, it can, it can sort of start to take on a form that is paranoid in nature. Yeah, um, I, I see yeah. the the real frustrating part uh, is is sort of uh, when when you you know you're having these conversations with with people that have these types of beliefs is you know I, I don't know I would call it like this this nugget of truth problem where uh, someone either the conspiracy itself has some true elements that sort of uh, are at the core or you know someone brings up examples of actual conspiracies and. You know, it seems to me that uh, it always comes down to in conversation when you're walking them through the process of thinking of critically thinking about these theories. That's when you start to see uh, when the conspiracy theory beliefs start to show themselves as 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 false. Right. So, for example, you see, you know, you mentioned the. um uh, uh, you mentioned the idea of uh, of how big of a secret it would be if the Earth was actually flat and NASA was trying to you know you know create this illusion that if that it was a globe, the amount of people that it would take for that secret to persist and you know the the payoffs and the experts and uh, you know keeping people from just you know taking a plane and going to the edge right. You know, you you start to see these, um, I, I don't know, little cracks in logic. Um, and in some cases, they're bigger, you know, logical fallacies. But, you know, that's where you seem to, to me is the differentiator between these false beliefs and sort of uh, ideas that are floating around in the public that might actually be real conspiracies. Yeah, there's a great um, sort of tongue in cheek definition of conspiracy theories that, that I found on Twitter some years ago. Uh, it's by a guy named uh, Bern Hobart, and he said, uh, conspiracy theories are a genre of science fiction in which most organizations are secretly run by competent people pursuing definite goals. I love that definition. It's a joke, of course, um, because it, it, it really encapsulates what you were just saying, which is conspiracy theories really depend on this idea that human beings are really, really good at keeping secrets and coordinating efforts in these very complicated and organized ways, whereas it's really not actually the case. So, and, and you know, yes, there are historical examples of true conspiracies, um, but in general, those weren't uncovered by uh, so-called conspiracy theorists who were, you know, connecting the dots in in their basement, you know, to 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 play up that stereotype. You know, conspiracies are uncovered by investigative journalism for, by by and large. Um, so this idea that, um, you know, the conspiracy theorists, I don't actually like that that word, but uh -huh. the idea that conspiracy theorists are you know, piecing together these, you know, puzzles, if you really start to analyze what kind of evidence they're looking at, things very rapidly fall apart. But again, we live in the society now where it's really not about the evidence. And so just to take it back to mistrust one more time if you fundamentally believe that we're being lied to at every turn, you know, to go back to flat earthers, whether it's NASA or the U S government, or, you know, even our kindergarten teachers, 
you know, that just makes it very easy for you to reach out to another source of information and say, see, well, look, I found this YouTube video that says, you know, a thousand and one reasons why the, the, the prove the flat, uh, the prove the earth is flat. Um, so that's really the, the challenge that we're talking about and why that misinformation piece is so important in conjunction with mistrust. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, a lot of the conversations I have the you know, another sort of telling feature of conspiracy theory beliefs or, uh, you know, if when you start going, establishing sort of, well, you know, what, what would we need to see? for this theory to be proven wrong. This idea of falsifiability. It's something that is, is uh, almost universally missing from conversations I have with conspiracy theorists. So, you know, I'm, as someone who uh, is sort of trying to be uh, open to evidence, you know, uh, what evidence do I need to see that, you know, COVID, for example, started in a lab? Well, you know, let's maybe there's some people that would go on the record to say that they were studying this, or we have some evidence that uh, of which lab and and sort of what other compounds were there, right? I can, you know, a lot of people can articulate what they would need to see in order for their opinion to change. What I've found is that uh, in conversations about conspiracy theories, you know, you said, you know, you talk about mistrust, it's every resource that I'm bringing up points about is well that's part of the conspiracy yeah and it's this it's the endlessness seems like a very poignant feature in the conversations yeah there's definitely a kind of unassailability of conspiracy theory belief uh and this is where psychology can can help us a little bit you know so i think that uh one confirmation bias which i think has become you know virtually a household word now but just to redefine that confirmation bias is a tendency that we all have, albeit in various degrees, um, to sift through the information that's out there and select the information, or if we're going to use a, a internet sort of metaphor, click on information that supports what we already believe or what we suspect to be true, and then to ignore or swipe past information that contradicts it. And that's certainly a very prominent feature of people who tend to believe in conspiracy theories, right? I mistrust this source of information, right. like the, you know, uh, the investigation by uh, engineers and material scientists that looked into what happened at 9-11 in terms of the collapse of the Twin Towers. Like, I don't believe that. Hey, but I will believe this other source that I found on the internet somewhere or this YouTube video. So that's confirmation bias. And then the other, I think, very helpful psychological concept to keep in mind uh, is cognitive dissonance, uh, which is also, I think, virtually a household word. So this is this idea that this conflict or this tension arises uh, when uh, we have a certain belief and then that comes in conflict with, let's say, you know, evidence that we come across. And so in order to resolve that tension, uh, we just ignore the evidence, right? Or we do what's what we call moving the goalposts. And certainly that's, I think, what what you're describing when you talk to people who have conspiracy theory beliefs. You might, you know, spend an hour arguing about this one little point, and maybe there's a little bit movement there, but then they say, oh, but there's this other aspect. So there's always this sort of shifting of the narrative uh, and shifting of the focus um, that, that uh, allows folks to continue arguing about it ad, ad infinitum. Now, do you believe that that 
that people actually believe in some of the more extreme conspiracy theories. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you ask somebody, uh, let's just take belief in a higher power, for example. Um, you know, if you ask someone, you know, do you believe in a higher power? And they'll say, yes. And, you know, I, I don't I don't think that this is all there is, you know, this as in just nature and, and what, what our re observable reality is. Sometimes I just I get this feeling like the contents of the beliefs don't really matter that they're they say that people say they believe in a higher power because of a of sort of a feeling and, and a, a an idea that they want to be behind, which is yeah. that there's more to life than this. And when I hear that, I see I see someone that doesn't actually believe literally in a higher power. They just believe in this idea. It's sort of uh, Daniel Dennett has talked a little bit about this this phenomenon, believing in belief. I'm curious if if you think that that consp is, is does conspiracy theory uh, beliefs, do they, do they fall in that same category? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say that particularly for beliefs where there's not clear evidence um, that that phenomenon you're talking about is true across all, all different types of belief. Um, in fact, I often use a, a religious analogy and talk about, you know, Christianity, belief in the Bible. There's a whole spectrum of what that might mean to say, I'm a Christian or I believe in the Bible, you know, and there's Bible literal, literalists and there's Bible figurativists. Uh, and there's people who belong to Bible study groups who, you know, sit around every weekend and, you know, talk about what the meaning of Bible passages are. So that kind of same diversity of the specificity of belief and also the degree of conviction is absolutely something that we see in conspiracy theory believers. Um, and even Kyrie Irving, when he was confronted after he first said that he might believe the earth is flat. Uh, and, and actually what happened was... Uh, elementary school teachers across the country really kind of revolted and said, look, you're setting back the education of these kids. And so he backpedaled a little bit. And he's like, look, you know, this is just something that I kind of think about because, you know, I've come to the conclusion that I'm being lied to and you can't trust authority anymore. So he kind of backed off specifically huh. about that belief. Interesting. And then, of course, you, you resort to that dreaded phrase, just asking questions, right? That, uh, so, so that's really what you're talking about. There are certainly people out there who might identify with conspiracy theory beliefs. They might not believe it 100%. They might not even believe it in a literal sense, but there's enough appeal there to say, you know, they might be onto something. You know, maybe, maybe something is funny going on with NASA and the shape of the earth. Maybe, you know, I don't know who killed JFK, but, you know, I don't think it was Lee Harvey Oswald, that kind of thing. So that's very important. We're certainly seeing that with QAnon. There have been uh, polls in recent years where, you know, something like 20, 30 percent of poll respondents might sort of loosely identify as saying, yes, I believe some of uh, some of, uh, you know, the, the dogma behind QAnon. Uh, but then on further questioning, um, it'll become clear that the respondents aren't even really sure what the specific aspects of dogma are, you know, like. Are there really, uh, you know, satanic pedophiles who are harvesting adrenochrome from children? You know, some of the respondents are like, oh, well, 
well, I didn't know that was a thing, but yeah, I kind of believe, you know, mm. <laughs> so, th- so that phenomenon of sort of loose belief. Um, and again, when we start talking about politics, it's really about affiliation also. It's like, I'm sort of siding with this camp um, that is sort of, you know, counterculture or counter authority. <laughs> and I'm with them re- regardless of whether or not I believe this specific thing. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about the who behind conspiracy theory beliefs because there's a ton of focus on the personality traits the characteristics of people that that sort of um are are more likely to be involved in these movements um i know that there's some data suggesting that uh that 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 there's there's that people that believe in conspiracy theory uh conspiracy theories uh, are more likely to believe in all of them versus just a couple. And, and, and again, that's sort of a one of those red flags. If if you're if you were authentic, if it's just about the evidence, you would predict that uh, you know you might believe in a that that the JFK JFK was killed by the government, but the 9/11 stuff, well, that's that's bunk, or the flat Earth stuff, that's bunk. But but uh, some there's some data showing that they're related that if you believe in one, you're more likely to believe in others again, kind of getting to that identity piece. Um, Could you talk a little bit about what we know about, about the who behind these, these types of beliefs? Yeah, for sure. So that is certainly a a finding from research that is uh, often discussed and cited this idea that belief in one conspiracy theory, predicts belief in another conspiracy theory. Uh, and very interestingly, some research has shown that that's even true sometimes with contradictory conspiracy theories. <laughs> so even though they're logically not consistent, might even contradict each other, that, the, that there's still a, a greater likelihood that w- one will believe. Mm-hmm. What's interesting there, though, is that I think we have to be a little bit careful and understand that um, d- despite what I just said about contradiction, there are belief in specific kind of themes of conspiracy theories um, that tend to cluster together. So the place where this is sort of most apparent now is when we talk about motivated reasoning along uh, political parties or or partisan differences. So that while it is true that in general, belief in one conspiracy theory predicts belief in another, it's not uh, true when those beliefs cross party lines, if you will. Um, So, you know, You know, uh, there might be examples of, uh, you know, being a a birther, right? You believe that, um, uh, uh, you know, President Obama wasn't born here in the U.S., you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the person who believes that conspiracy theory, of course, is more likely to be conservative, right wing, Republican, however you want to phrase it. But that person is not then going to be likely to endorse a belief, for example, that Donald Trump is in cahoots with uh, President Putin, you know, in in terms of Russiagate. So there are limits to that sort of generalizability of conspiracy theory belief. And that's, again, why I emphasize this aspect of mistrust so much, because it's really about I don't trust those guys, but I do trust, you know, this camp over here. Um, And that goes back to what you said about this, this interesting conundrum where you know, for example, conspiracy theory believers will often say things like follow the money, you know, which, you know, that's often very good advice, except that they often don't take time to consider, well, who's funding 
the you know YouTube videos or or the beliefs out there that are conspiratorial in nature. Um, you know, the anti-vaccine <laughs> movement is is probably the best example of that. Or even it, one, it's probably one of my favorite YouTube videos on conspiracy theories, which is um, uh, it's uh, does does the conspiracy theory affect rich people? <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, common one, uh, a common conspiracy is the the con uh, chemtrails, right? The uh, someone is the the exhaust from planes, the water vapor coming off of planes. It's not just water vapor. It's there's chemicals in it. And which is interesting because those planes fly over all types of neighborhoods. And yeah. so if that's the case, like where are the people that are funding this operation? Do they live in the neighborhoods Do they, you know, they have rich people have to live in, live below these, these planes too. So it would be kind of far-fetched to think that you would be uh, you would be engaging in this, this master plan that affects literally everyone. It's not a surgical strike. It is just gas that you're putting into the atmosphere. So I think that's an important thing to discuss because, uh, you know, I'm often asked things like, well, can you reason with someone or, you know, is it worth debating and that sort of thing? And I, and I think what's pretty clear is it's not really about logic and, and arguments. Now, I'm not trying to say that people who could believe in conspiracy theories are illogical or, you know, certainly not saying that they're dumb or stupid. Right. As a reminder, we're talking about the majority of the population here. Right. It's just it's just not about that. It's not about debating the evidence of facts, even though on the surface there's that quality of, you know, oh, have you looked at experiments that prove that the earth is flat? Right. So on the superficial level, sometimes the discourse is about those kind of things. But that's really not what it's about from a sort of emotional level, from a you know, larger standpoint of just what that conspiracy theory uh, means to you. And that's where some other psychological research is relevant, where uh, to go back to this idea of psychological quirks, you know, there's a whole laundry list of psychological quirks that are associated with conspiracy theory belief. And those include things like need for certainty, need for control, need for closure, uh, so if you think about an event like the assassination of, of JFK or like the death of Princess Diana, um, you know, those are very upsetting things on a, on a national or even international level. And so the idea is that perhaps conspiracy theories offer a kind of tidy narrative. Now, it might be a sort of scary narrative, um, but at least it's not just a narrative that says, oh, well, Princess Diana just happened to crash by accident. And, you know, that's really what's scary, right, is that coincidences happen, things happen for no, you know, apparent reason. Um, and the conspiracy theory narratives sometimes, you know, make it sound like, oh, well, if I can attribute it to this evil entity, then maybe I actually have a little bit more control over that. Mm -hmm. So certainty, control, closure, need yep. for uniqueness is another trait that comes uh, 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 up. This idea that conspiracy theories allow people to feel like, you know, I'm privy to this knowledge that no one else knows about. The rest of you people are sheep or sheeple. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. there's something very empowering about like being in on the secret, if you will. Um, other cognitive quirks would be things like a, um, a teleologic bias, the tendency for um, uh, people to think that there must be a kind of higher purpose or a, you know, kind of reason for everything. Uh, again, you know, steering away from the the idea that just coincidences sometimes happen. So yeah, I think, and, those... and you can also see it. I mean, you you even see it 
in everyday life in take for instance people's restaurant preferences it's like uh you know oh you you think you have a good pizza place but you haven't been to the the my place i'll take you i'll take you to my place yeah where where clearly there's this identity piece of as you mentioned i'm privy i have something yeah that you don't have and regardless of whatever Yelp says or restaurant reviews say about this pizza place, I go there and that manager treats me well. And I always get this pizza and, and it's good. And, and I'm, I have that information and I'm sharing it with you. And, and and it, it's, you know, it speaks to that, that identity piece, which is so, so interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if we shift and we talk more about misinformation, you know, I, I sometimes use this phrase, the the misinformation or the disinformation food chain. So you know, one of the things that that I, I sort of was made more aware of when I participated in the documentary about flat earthers was that there are certain people in that movement who really attained a sort of celebrity status uh, by virtue of the fact that they were talking about these things, they're you know, making YouTube videos. Uh, there's many examples of, you know, people who have literally made millions of dollars off of, you know, online videos, YouTube videos, that kind of thing. So it, it even goes beyond the need for uniqueness and like, I feel special to sometimes these are people sort of at the top of the disinformation food chain who are literally, their livelihood is, uh, you know, they, they, they're having financial success because of embrace of these kind of theories. Uh, we see that in the QAnon movement. There are people who have websites that are, you know, promoting QAnon theories, but also, you know, selling, you know, T-shirts and sweatshirts and, you know, baseball caps and the, that kind of thing. Or for that matter, Alex Jones, great example, right? I mean, um, despite his uh, multi-million dollar lawsuit that, that ruled against him, you know, he he's amassed quite a fortune there uh, from peddling conspiracy theories uh, and and also, of course, from from selling vitamin supplements. There's a uh, often a sort of curious link between conspiracy theory uh, belief and, and and taking megavitamins for for whatever reason, um, but yeah. So I so I think when we think about this disinformation food chain, there are a lot of people in that food chain that are really having very tangible profit from conspiracy theory belief. And then if we talk about politics, sometimes the profit isn't just financial; it's a question of political power. So very clearly, we know you know, going back millennia that conspiracy theory beliefs can, can, you know, sir, act in the service of, uh, you know, political uh, machinations. So we seem to be on the same page that, that the identity piece to, as a motivator of conspiracy theory beliefs is uh, impossible to detach from the conversation that, that evidence is, uh, it, it's not about having better evidence. It's not about making a stronger case per se that that if you want to have any sort of luck persuading someone uh or or influencing someone in terms of their beliefs that we that we have to look at this identity piece let's jump into how to better address this phenomenon in our society what are some things that we need to to practically consider uh, if we want people to think more critically and 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 be less uh, distrustful of certain entities, 
Yeah, you know, there's this quotation that's very variably attributed to uh, you know R.D. Lang or Thomas Sass that you know something to the effect of you know in, insanity is just a normal response to an insane society. Now, I really do not like that quotation as it applies to mental illness, but I think it's a good way to understand the phenomenon of conspiracy theory belief. This is not a phenomenon of individual psychopathology, of people who are delusional. This isn't like suddenly half the population develops schizophrenia. This is really a symptom of a sick society. Um, and the sickness is those two elements we talked about. We live in an era of pervasive mistrust. Polls going back to the 1960s have shown a steady decline in trust in the media, in government officials, uh, even in trust of our, our fellow neighbors, that kind of thing. Um, and certainly, I think we've seen good evidence, uh, again, not to blame everything on the Internet, but over the past couple of decades, this just rampant proliferation of misinformation that's out there in the world today. So I think if we hope to combat um, conspiracy theory belief or really belief in misinformation more generally, those are the sort of two pillars that we have to confront, the front the issue of mistrust. And, and going back to what I said about sometimes mistrust is earned, it's really about institutions of authority regaining the trust of the public, earning that trust of the public. Uh, so rather than just pinning this on, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists, I think sources of informational authority need to take ownership of that. Um, and they do it, the way, the pathway to do that is through uh, transparency, uh, through community engagement by, you know, letting people in the door, giving them a seat at the table, uh, as it were, um, and, you know, entities like the CDC or the World Health Organization during the pandemic are good examples of that, where I think there were some breakdowns in the way that they gave information to people uh, and, and lost the, the trust of the public in some cases. Mm -hmm. So I think part of the solution is to regain trust. Um, uh, and the other is really the harder part, I think, uh, which is to tackle the problem of misinformation. You know, what do we do? with the fact that it is just as easy, if not more easy to find you know, untruths out there in the informational landscape uh, than it is to find um, you know, reliable sources of information. Uh, and certainly you know, what's going on with Twitter right now re really raises a lot of flags for those of us who are you know, in, in the misinformation science world um, that you know, th this could quickly you know, go south. Yeah, I, I'm also nervous about our ability to better teach critical thinking because we it may or may not address the issue right so if 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 we if we look at misinformation you could address it top down in, in the sense that our media and government institutions that are are designed to distribute information they have to be more transparent at the same time the populace needs to be better equipped my worry of course is that uh, is that critic if you teach critical thinking those tools may lead to they, they might still lead to certain types of beliefs that are considered false right yeah. so one thing that i noticed in the um in in behind the curve the flat earth documentaries that a lot of a lot of people that are flat consider this, themselves flat earthers um deep down they 
feel like they're doing science, right? They want, they feel like they're thinking critically by going out and the, I don't want to spoil it, but the, the sort of end storyline about using lasers to sort of see if we can measure a, a, a curve, uh, a pattern. Um, there's a lot of people that believe in conspiracy theories, feel they're critically thinking, feel like they're doing sort of sciencey type stuff. So I'm I'm a little I'm I'm always nervous that that we're not going to be able to use critical thinking to to make these types of things go away. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a number of important points. Um, you know, one is to kind of get into the weeds a little bit of what critical thinking really means. Um, and the more frequent term used in psychology research is analytical thinking. And I think most people, when they think about critical thinking, and they're, they're thinking like, you know, think scientifically or, you know, the word critical is really sort of embedded in the whole notion of conspiracy, right? It's like, I don't believe this. And so I'm going to just ask questions and look at another informational source. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about critical thinking or even analytical thinking. Really what that means and what has been shown to um, decrease belief in conspiracy theories or even belief in you know, so-called fake news is analytical thinking, which is really about just slowing down and saying, hey, whatever this information standing in front of me, instead of just buying it at face value because it feels right or it aligns with what I believe or because somebody I trust said it, let me think, like, maybe this isn't right. Um, and so some researchers have shown that uh, conspiracy theory belief is really about like just not being careful and just jumping to the kind of the conclusion, accepting things at face value. So that if you experimentally put people in situations where they're kind of primed to say, you know, the information that you're about to see might not be correct, people are actually much better than at recognizing information that, that, that's false. So that's actually really what I think the need is for, for this sort of analytical thinking that says, slow down, be skeptical. Now, I want to be clear to differentiate between skepticism and denialism, right? Skepticism. Or, cyn or cynicism, right? Yeah. You know, so skepticism is a, is a sort of scientific way of thinking that says, look, I'm not necessarily going to believe anything until we look at evidence, we look at controls, controlled trials. Uh, and then we base our belief on that evidence. The denialism or the, the sort of pessimism, cynicism that's often part of conspiracy theory belief isn't that. It's not saying I'm going to look at the evidence. It's very specifically saying I'm not going to believe that, right? Because I don't trust that misinformational source. Yeah. So, it, uh, so I think there is mm -hmm. some hope in terms of promoting that kind of thinking. Um, you know, and scientific thinking isn't about trust scientists. It's about this process of, you know, really letting the data and the evidence guide belief rather than the other way around. And that's just simply not an intuitive way that human beings think. Mm -hmm. We intuitively think in the opposite direction where we have our, you know, suspicions, our hunches, our opinions, our feelings. And then, as I said, through confirmation bias, we just use the evidence to, to strengthen those things. Yeah, I, I believe it was Penn Jillette that differentiated skepticism and cynicism where skepticism is all about evidence and being expressing doubt about evidence and critically thinking about evidence cynicism is 
uh, all about the motives of people. And that is a, I mean, there's a, there's a huge difference there between being skeptical of evidence and skeptical of someone's motives. Yeah. We don't, it's very hard to assess motives. And, and, and especially when it comes to conspiracy theories, you see a lot of negativity. Well, it's like, oh, they know what they're doing. Um, uh, uh, Adam Carolla would call it stupid or liar, right? Uh, some, you could explain someone that's wrong about something as they were just incorrect or misinformed, or they had an agenda or they were doing it on purpose and they're lying. Yeah. Um, so to, uh, to wrap up, uh, I would imagine a lot of listeners are, they know someone in their, in their life that, uh, that is very interested in conspiracy theories. Could you put together a toolkit for these one-on-one -on -one relationships that, uh, that, you know, could, could help people that, that want to engage their, their friends, their family members that hold these beliefs in a more effective way? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of inquiries about that uh, over the past couple of years, particularly sort of at the height of the pandemic and at the height of the QAnon's popularity. So it, my answer sort of depends on the context. Um, I think if you're, you know, if you're sort of stereotypically talking about a friend or family member or loved one who's sort of you know, gone down the proverbial rabbit hole and now all they want to do is talk about, you know, QAnon or something like that. Honestly, my recommendation is really not to engage uh, on that specific topic. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that one should disengage. On the contrary, I think the most helpful thing for that person is to kind of remain in contact as like, you know, I care about you or I love you or, you know, I have an interest in continuing this friendship. But you know what? Let's go whatever, you know, to a ball game right. and not talk about that. You know, let's just chill and talk about like that, I think, is more helpful than anything else. I think too often we get sucked into those conversations where the goal is like, I need to, you know, basically attack this person's belief and get them to change, you know, their conclusions. That, I think, is mainly fruitless for the reasons that I've talked about. And, you know, even if you think about it from a psychological standpoint, you would think that something like cognitive behavioral therapy would be the ideal treatment for something like belief in conspiracy theory, uh, belief in conspiracy theories. And, you know, it would be, except that we have to remember that people who are in cognitive behavioral therapy are there voluntarily because they're looking for help and they're open mm -hmm. to like, you know, maybe I'd like to look at things in a different vein. Right. And that's usually not what we're talking about when people say, well, what do I do with a friend? They're not trying to say, hey, can you sit down and debate this belief with me? They're trying to say, like, this is the truth, damn it. And, you know, will you come down the rabbit hole with me? And I don't think those conversations are are all that fruitful. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it, it I'm not a clinician, uh, but it, it reminds me of sort of the goals of talk therapy, which is, you know, if, if you're experiencing depression and you go to a therapist, they're not going to, they're not just going to list pieces of evidence to you, uh, to, to build up your self-esteem. They're not just going to sort of throw, uh, you know, make a bullet point checklist of why you're a great person. That's, that's not the goal of most forms of therapy. Most forms of therapy are, 
designed to sort of model just a good relationship and and what a relate and and uh, allow someone to express themselves emotionally and explore their identity it's not about just arguing or providing evidence i'm curious if you think there's an overlap in the sense of sort of what a therapeutic goal would be versus a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Do, do you see those as similar? Well, I think there's a lot of overlap. Now, now I will say that cognitive behavioral therapy does really put a lot of emphasis on, you know, looking at beliefs, looking at the evidence beliefs, sort of collaboratively, you know, challenging those beliefs. But again, in order to get into the door and to engage in that, there has to be, you know, what we in psych psychotherapy call a, a therapeutic alliance. There has to be this shared sense of, you know, right. we're going to both work on this. I trust you as my therapist. Um, and again, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about trying to engage with, with with family members and that kind of thing. So for sure, the first goal is, you know, be supportive, be somebody who, you know, is going to be there for them. It's not going to just disappear because, you know, they've gone down the rabbit hole. Right. And if you can maintain that contact, then there might actually be some room uh, to start challenging beliefs, but you can't do it off the bat. And you certainly can't do it, you know, online, on Facebook, on Twitter or, or something like that. Um, so, so, so again, I think when, when I get that question, you know, more often than not, the question is really like, how can I convince somebody that they're crazy? Like that's just not, not going to work. And, and you should throw that goal out the window. Now, if somebody is looking to, you know, hear other opinions and to have their belief challenged, you know, Great, you know, do that in a therapeutic relationship. Go, go find a, a psychotherapist or something and, and and get in there, or find somebody like you know Mick West, who's a sort of you know well-known debunker who really will will go down the rabbit hole with people and really challenge challenge beliefs one by one. Mm -hmm. uh, and and to close, I'll say please check out Behind the Curve, uh, the Flat Earth documentary. Uh, it's that de it definitely uh, sort of provides real world examples of these sort of figures and the motives that we've been talking about uh, today uh, in, a, in a nice little package that was, it's definitely one of my favorite documentaries of the past decade. Um, so we're out of time. Uh, thank you so much for, for being on. It was a pleasure chatting with you, uh, Joe Pierre. All right, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, fun talking. Joe, visit his website, drjoepierre.com. That's D-R-J-O-E-P-I-E-R-R-E.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at PsychUnseen or visit his blog, PsychUnseen, at psychologytoday.com. This is the final episode of 2022, so I wanted to thank all my listeners for supporting the show. I've got some new things in store for 2023, so be sure to stay tuned. If you enjoy this podcast, please share an episode with two of your friends. Follow the Why Do We Do That Facebook page for updates and additional content. Don't forget to rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow on Instagram at Why Do We Do That Podcast or Twitter at WDWDTPod. As always, feel free to email me with comments or guest suggestions at whydoweodothatpodcast at gmail.com. 
Until next time, this is Dr. Ryan Moyer, hoping you found some answers to the question, why do we do that? Mm-hmm.